Hi, I'm Danny Belton. And I'm Tamika Brown. And we're biracial unicorns. And even our blood is negative. It's true. Actually, is your is your blood negative? It is. It is. My husband says it's because I'm a negative person. <laughs> I actually can't remember. I thought I was like a positive because I think it's like I was supposed to be a positive. My sister is B negative. And that was supposed to be the whole thing. But I honestly cannot remember. And the thing is, they tell you a gajillion times when you're pregnant. I think when you're negative, you have to have some sort of like special shot Mm -hmm. because otherwise in subsequent pregnancies, your body will just like attack any sort of embryo. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I didn't have that. So, yeah, I cannot for the life of me remember. So there you go. I should probably check that because that's part of being an adult. Mm, is it though? I think most most American adults don't know their blood type. I would go <laughs> out of a limb and say that. Mm, yeah, I, I, you're probably right. It, I think it's just one of those things if you just if you don't use it, you lose it. That kind of a thing. Unless you know you're somebody who like donates blood a lot and happens to know. Or like I think my husband is O, and so he used to always have blood banks call him, been like, "Can we have some of your blood?" <laughs> no, so it's uh, if you got that rare blood, you know about it. Well, O isn't rare. O oh, is no, the it's most common. The one that can give to everybody, right? That's O. Yeah. yeah, so that's what oh, it is. Oh, it's universal donor, but it's also the most common blood type. Oh, see? You guys are just special because you guys can give it out to anybody. Oh, so. and then AB is the least common. That's what it is. Look at that. <laughs> and I'm just in the middle. A negative, which I think is like the third least common or something. All the negatives are less common than the positives. Mm, yeah, I'll, I'll have to give an update. I need to go ask and check that out. And then I'll give an update on, on that. So that way we can both be transparent. But be, be open with yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. the public about our blood type. Um, I like- you know, in Asia, it, it is like a thing, like mm. idols and stars, celebrities, like everyone knows their blood type because they'll often share it in profiles because there is this idea that your blood type determines the type of personality you have get out yeah it's true huh it's just like just like astrology but for your blood that seems even more like a parallel like you literally can't help it it is literally in your blood but i don't know there's been people who try to base diets off of your blood type as well yeah maybe maybe i don't have to worry about astrology and start worrying about my blood yeah maybe Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, look at this. We're speaking of blood. It's all about the blood today. All in the blood. (laughs) It's all up in the blood today. Something really nice and easy to talk about, which is uh, blood quantum and the one drop rule. Just just a nice, lighthearted conversation today. The the kissing cousins that are blood quantum (laughs) and one drop rule. I did, I I like I like to describe them as just like the the you know the the two sides to a horrific coin like it's <laughs> <laughs> but by all means let's get let's get kissy cousins about it instead but yeah I want to definitely spend a good portion of time talking about blend quantum and then how that kind of that juxtaposition and also relates to the one drop rule and uh, yeah I. <laughs> When, when researching for for this topic, it's one of those things of like, you know, and I think I've mentioned it before, you know that you know, and you're not unfamiliar, but then it's like, you keep hearing more and more stories, you do more and more research, and you just figure out just how 
insidious, how deep, how crushing, how awful it is. And it's just so excited to bring it to the show today. <laughs> well, and, and I think it's important to talk about and dive into these topics because I think there is this idea that people settle into with the with living in a white supremacist society that it's like, well... You know, like these systems are so entrenched and just like can't be helped. But then we look at something like the idea of blood quantum, the idea of one drop rule and how they are opposite of each other and how the guideposts, the signposts can just so easily move to fit whatever the ideal is to to protect white supremacy. So if it's that easy to just create systems to maintain it, it should be easy to create systems to dismantle it. Exactly. So what, what, let's get into it. So what exactly is, if we can give someone the crash course, if they have never heard of the term blood quantum, how would we give a, a brief summary <laughs> yeah, so brief U.S. history here for people who probably know these these basics, right? As the lands were systematically stolen from indigenous people, there were also a variety of treaties that were created to supposedly benefit everyone. And so there are certain treaties and rules that have to be upheld by the U.S. government in their relations with indigenous people. Do these things actually get held up? Well, that's a longer conversation. Mm. But I think... <laughs> The idea of blood quantum comes from these ideas of treaties and being able to claim right to an indigenous group or tribe or pueblo. And so blood quantum is very varied in the requirements for tribal enrollment really vary tribe to tribe, peoples to people. But underlying this whole system, at least in the U.S., is the idea that after so many generations and so much intermingling, you can no longer claim right to your indigenous lineage, that those treaties no longer have to be honored when it comes to you as an individual. And so... I can speak on my own experience um, in knowing my own blood quantum and within my own tribe, there is a system, there's a couple different ways to be recognized by the U.S. government as being mm -hmm. indigenous. And so the very first step for anyone is going to the Bureau of Indian Affairs, a division within the U.S. government, and getting what is called a CDIB, which is a Certificate of degree of Indian blood. And so it is literally a piece of paper that tells you how indigenous you are based off of your documented ancestry and the documented race of your ancestors. And so <laughs> as anyone could guess, it's problematic because of those reasons. And then each tribe has different blood quantum requirements in order to be accepted and enrolled as an official tribal member. And some are really loose and some are really strict. And it's it's really just varied. But for a long time, there was like a strict rule that was like one sixteenth is the cutoff point or one quarter is the cutoff mm -hmm. point. Yeah. So it's it's a lot of things, a lot of hoops and a lot of 
issue because I know even within my own family, there was a lot of claiming to be white, even when you were mm-hmm. not. So there's a lot of conflicting information of, you know, uh, someone who is 100% Indian, as it were, claiming to be white on census forms and things because it just makes life easier. And there is so much I want to unpack there. And you brought up about actually having that quantum on the card stated. So just also to clarify, do they take blood from you? Is this a by all? <laughs> oh, great question, Tamika. I'm mm. so glad you brought that up. No, there is mm. not like a vial of blood that is tested to see your genetic ancestry, because as we all know, race is invented. <laughs> so it's not <laughs> as simple as testing your blood. Mm. And furthermore, I think especially when we're talking blood and especially when we're talking Native Americans, there is this recent trend with genetic testing where people do their 23andMe and are like, look, I'm Native American. But it's like, you you can't name the tribe. You don't have any actual ties to it. And it's like just this made up lineage. Yeah, it's pretty problematic. I will say on the other end, though, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, I've never done a genetic test, but my sister has. And she tested something like 60% Native American, which was kind of surprising, but not not yeah. really, because it just like reinforces the fact that we are half Chicana and that is going to be mixed in a way where we have no idea what our indigenous heritage is, because those ties have been systematically hidden through generations. So we only know our indigenous ties on our father's side. That's why I wanted to kind of highlight of how much this is done through the bureaucracy of, of paperwork and proof. That absolutely should blow anyone's mind that, and you know, I was following an influencer who was talking about blood quantum of just like, it's horses and dogs and native people mm-hmm. who literally get categorized by blood quantum. And there, there's something about that that is so shivering and discouraging and disheartening and, and, and thinking about categorizing people by not <laughs> by, by paperwork, especially um, they were talking about in the beginning of these original ancestries and splitting up the tribes and the nations. So not only are they trying to be racialized, right, which is one of the bigger problems yep. here of trying to turn several sovereign nations with all individual backgrounds, genetics, cultures, diversities, governments, and try to boil them down into one singular race, which is horrifically problematic right <laughs> but but uh, on top of that and then and stripping it down to it feels like just appearance and burden of proof so those original members here they were not even quite sure if they were 100 percent either like you're talking about some people who had very very little background and claim would claim to be full and on the opposite end those who were full didn't necessarily get the claim especially talking about people who were black indigenous black native or a mixture of that and them now to this day not being able to qualify and have enough blood quantum to receive any of those benefits. And so it's just even on the base of it is still very steeped on what whiteness is depicted as the base level to prove your nativeness. Yeah, I think there's a lot to to unpack in what you just shared. (laughs) But I think it highlights a couple of huge issues when we're talking about blood quantum. One is it's like a system that has been put on people where 
historically there may have been more intermingling that happened. So with a CDIB, it lists which tribe you are a member of and what your blood quantum is for that particular tribe. So that also <laughs> leads to some erasure in in the sense that like if you're multiple tribes, it might not be accurately reflected on your CDIB. And I know within within my tribe, the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma, we're only allowed to claim mm. membership in one tribe. So we would have to, like, if you are of a mixed background, even something like Chickasaw or something that's neighboring, you can't be a, a member of more than one tribe. So you have to kind of choose. And so this is kind of rooted in this idea of blood quantum. And then you bring up the idea of Black Indigenous and then freedmen. So there are a number of tribes that did hold slaves, um, my tribe included. And so there were freedmen who were freed from slavery in these tribes. And so right now it's a it's a huge hot hot topic um, within the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma about whether or not to allow Choctaw freedmen to be able to claim, tribal membership. And so right now it, it is not something that is allowed, but I think there's there's a lot of pushing on both sides. Um and mm. kind of people are are kind of waiting with bated breath seeing if it's going to be put up to a vote in the coming years to see if we could allow that because I know there's plenty of people who are like I have a great great grandmother <laughs> who was Choctaw, but she was not on this this role or or because her her son is listed as a freedman not as a hundred percent indigenous or even fifty percent blood quantum that he would have he is not technically allowed to enroll so I think it's a really interesting issue in that it's really formalizing these claims to a community mm. and claims to a heritage. Do I think that just like anyone should be able to be like, I'm Native American, I took this blood test? No, of course not. But I do think that because of blood quantum rules, it does complicate things. And there have been a number of stories in the media recently where tribes might change their blood quantum allotment and people being people who have deep cultural connection, familial connection to a community, all of a sudden not being able to claim that they are Native. Oh, I, I want to go in so many places. Like I, I want to ask about what exactly are some of the benefits I want to ask about. Um, what does that look like for family dynamics as far as blood quantum? How do we get past looking at people through the lens of a fraction? Like this topic, it just blooms <laughs> with so many layers. But I guess um, since since you kind of mentioned that, what does that? How does that change the family dynamic within native population? And I think to caveat, if explaining this like why why don't we just stop why don't we just say we're not doing this anymore yeah i mean <laughs> it's so I know. I it's know. so heavy because i think there is there is this idea of treaties and things being honored so yeah. like we can't just abolish abolish a system there is also as we've talked about before this weird kind of inclination of particularly like white intellectuals where being able to claim being indigenous is like sexy is like a cool mm -hmm. thing you know to be like well my great great grandmother was 
Cherokee. Like, I don't... Wait, <laughs> she was a Cherokee princess. princess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think it's it's not as straightforward as blood quantum shouldn't matter because mm-hmm. there are legal protections for indigenous groups. And I think we need to, as a society, honor those protections. Honestly, we need to give more. We've had this discussion, like land back discussions and what have you. But so it's not as simple as abolishing. And I think there is this idea within the U.S. of sovereign rule. So in theory, each sovereign nation, each indigenous group is a sovereign nation and should be able to create rules for their own people. And so that's why we see such a disparity between blood quantum requirements between groups. So we can't abolish. We should let tribes determine who belongs to the right. There's the idea that you cannot claim tribal membership. A tribe has to claim you. And I think that that's an important distinction to always have. And I think sometimes that falls on blood quantum lines and sometimes it doesn't. And I think the both things need to be honored. But when we, we are looking at blood quantum, we can trace it back a lot to the same rules and regulations that created the one drop rule. And I know this Mm -hmm. might be getting a a little ahead of ourselves here, but I think because there are two sides of one coin, it's hard to talk about one without the other. Mm -hmm. And so within my own understanding and research, a huge, huge example of this could be traced back to Virginia specifically and uh, the rules that were being laid out there because there were indigenous people who had claim and they were seen as not as bad as black people, but not as good as white people and trying to figure out ways to differentiate. So there was actually a rule in place that if you were less than a quarter, then you are less than an eighth, maybe it was 16th, then you could you were you could be white like at Mm -hmm. that point. And part of that was laid out specifically because there were descendants of good old homegirl Pocahontas who were in the white elite. Mm-hmm. And so they wanted to be able to claim that heritage without having to give up the benefits that being white gave them within the system. And then furthermore, the less people they had to honor with blood quantum, with tribal affiliation, the less they had to honor any sort of treaty. And so it's it's a gross thing. So they're just rewriting their own one drop rule to fit when the inverse needed to happen to maintain as much control as possible, if that makes sense. No, no, no. It is it is long-term genocide. Like, how yeah. do you commit genocide within a group of people over a long period of time? It's planned erasure. It's, you know, there's nothing sneaky about it. It's very methodical if you think about it. They give the option of the continued intermixing of it to where you eventually lose those rights and those benefits and your rights and tides to your culture, to your tribe, to your land, or having to intermarry so much to where tribes will eventually become extinct in general. I mean, if you think about it, it is completely maniacal. And that's exactly what it is. It's it's erasure. It cre- uh, creates inner division. We've talked about it a little bit. We'll talk about it a bit more with one drop rule. Colorism within the community a bit more. I mean, it is. there's nothing that's not divisive about blood quantum. And it, like you said, it 
as biracial unicorns, these things literally were, what do we do with mixed people? Yes. And and exactly. I think and I think we still we still feel that very much. I mean, that's why we have the show. That's why we have this space because I still feel like as a society within black spaces and mixed spaces, but also in native spaces, like what do we do? And it's actually interesting uh, when I was reading up about the one drop rule, there's a book called One Drop Rule Shifting the Lens on Race by Yaba uh, Bala. She talks about, or Belay, sorry. She has this quote in an interview she did. She goes, is it in the blood or in the experience? Mm. And I thought that was so good. And I was thinking about kind of picking that up and putting it through the lens of blood quantum. When we're talking about tribes being able to decide for themselves who's in and out. I mean, there are some Native people who actually do withhold blood quantum and very, very high you know, and some people have had some pushback and some kind of ebb and flow and called out for that and trying, like you said, it's not as simple as abolishing it, but wondering why is it still held in such esteem? But there's a protection for the culture that is being dwindled when we have people, like you said, who want to come in and not necessarily know anything about their culture, anything about their language, who maybe present more white, who's taken DNA tests, who wants stake to the claim of benefits that are already dwindling. And it's like, well, what, what do we do? Is it blood or experience? And it's, like I said, we could sit here and try to unpack that all day. And that's why this is complicated. And this is why we have to have these conversations. We have to talk it out. Yeah. And I mean, I hate to sound like a broken record, but when we're talking about pure race, right, mm. There, it, it's a very hard standard to measure because what does that even mean? How do you prove it? How can we, with good conscience, if we're talking race, blood, how can we decide that that is the determining factor? With that lens, it's an easier argument to argue for culture, for kind of the the experience, right? But as we've talked about on the show, for many of us who are mixed race, it's never as simple as that. And especially as we live in a society that does force a dominant culture on as many as possible. What does that mean? What does that mean for transracial adoptees? What does it mean for people from mixed backgrounds who are raised in the culture of just one of their parents? There, you know, it's it's a complicated issue. I don't have a clean, simple answer to it for sure, but I also think because there isn't a clean, simple answer, there can't be like a stark line that says, you know, you have to be 25% this to be this. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, even this word pure, I went kind of back and forth of talking about I'm pure Choctaw. I'm, I'm you know, 100% black, right? All these, these, these percentages being, but even pure, I feel like in our category, we are still trying to measure up to whiteness because I believe when we talk about in the cases of pure it's how close to whiteness you are not even do I believe we get the I don't know benefit privilege of using pure within our own race within our own culture because I still believe no matter what we do there'll always be this comparison to purity as to what as close to the dominant white European culture. And even that, I I always struggle when people kind of put the pure card or percentage card down in, in either race, because I feel like in comparison to what? Into your own people? Because it doesn't matter. Because as, as long as you are not closer to the dominant white culture, it will not matter mm. it, as far as like how you were treated. 
Mm-hmm. And it's so just even this idea of purity is just something that kind of blows my mind is really hard to wrap my mind around. <sighs> that- yeah, you make a good point, too, there about talking about treatment and how you're perceived by the mm-hmm. world, because we've talked about blood. We've talked about the cultural connection. But then there's also this idea of how you are perceived by others and what your treatment is there. And I think for those of us who are mixed race, that becomes <laughs> increasingly important, right? Because there are a lot of mixed race people who might not be connected to the culture that they present as. And so even though they might not have that cultural experience in the sense of connection to language or food or ritual, they still have the flip side of that, which is the treatment by majority culture. Mm-hmm. It's difficult to kind of even call that out because I think about the my own experience of my own daughter who is white passing. And we've talked about this before. I believe that within our family, we try to keep her very connected, very informed, very educated, very celebratory. And as right now, she defines herself as a mixed black girl. How the world will treat her will be very, very different of how they treated me. Yes. You know, very different. Yeah. And and I think that will impact it. I can can see that on the flip side when we're talking about blood quantum within Native groups of people, of people who present more Native. But once again, that's like still because we've put, we've minimized what we think Nativeness looks like, what Indigenous looks like. We've we've brought it down to a caricature. Yes. So even that is like we talk about, you know, there might be when defining racist by very much like a facial features. And I feel like blackness has had very like fuller lips, fuller hips, your skin, kinkier hair. And we have this list. And then when you take something like not let's not even get into things like Afro Latina or Latinx community. Like, let's not even get into that. But in just the indigenous group of people, we have such a narrow minded view because of the erasure and because it's trying to make it into a racial group of how that even physically looks. So that can even be I mean, you I, I, I'm not picking on you, but you're the prime example. People think you are Asian because yeah. they have such a limited understanding of what they think an indigenous person looks like. And it is, yes, you, you are mixed and we, we joke about, you know, ambiguity. But I think once again, if people had a wider view of what nativeness look like, I, it's, yeah. it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Because when I look at you, I'm like, I don't necessarily see that. But I think you have to expand that view and mindset and not think of it as a monolith and not think of it as a caricature of what nativeness looks like film did quite a number on what Mm. we see as indigenous with all the westerns of you know the mid 1900s and so i think there has been and the majority of those roles not being played by any sort of indigenous person right there is also the fact that there are a lot of mixed people who are indigenous because that is what often will happen when there is colonization unfortunately and i think different tribes responded in different ways and there's been different mixings but i can say within my 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 tribe there was an effort at erasure of language and culture and going to the dominant culture in order to survive um and it was like the attitude of a lot of people which includes personally my own ancestor who was a tribal leader like making that the the mission 
of the tribe. So I think because of that, because of the the desire to try, try to blend in, get ahead in society any way you can, the depictions in popular culture, and because of just like the small percentage of the population, I think all those things kind of work in tandem to this erasure of indigenous people like if you go on and granted this is like not not a verified way to find people but there are a number of indigenous influencers on social media and if you go through and look at them like they all look different (laughs) and they all have different backgrounds and and traditions and all those things but like they all look different and i think within this idea of race it's very hard to nail down like this is how the ideal person of this race looks mm. like. Like imagine, imagine like yeah. if white people were like to a white person were like, oh, I didn't think you were white. You don't look white. <laughs> like, I, Girl, you already know. Like, can you imagine? Well, even just this, like, can you imagine someone going up to a white person like, but how much white are you? Yeah. How, what percentage white are you? Yeah. And feeling like they have the like they have the audacity and the right to ask and be waiting for an answer. Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. That's nuts. That's absolutely absolutely nuts. And they're just kind of withholding that of needing that being a part of the information because that once again will dictate how you are treated, whether they know it or not. Of just by asking your percentage, how much of they're trying to gauge exactly how to treat you and how to view you and seeing if their perception of what they think native is matches up to the percentage that you are and that's what we're talking about i don't even think people understand the weight of those questions when they are asked yeah having to do that at the government level (laughs) to like prove Uh, prove your yeah i don't uh i i don't i don't I want to touch a little bit on how blood quantum impacts relationships, marriage, having kids. Mm. Yeah, I, I kind of want to touch into that and just like from your opinion, what does that look like as someone who is mixed and who married a, a white guy? What does that look like for you in that thought process as far as the rights of if you decide to have children or just what that looks like for you and your family? What does that look like? Yeah, well, I can say I've heard I've heard a lot of indigenous people who do keep that in consideration yeah. or try to when marrying and family planning and those sorts of things. And I think with a lot of smaller tribes, it becomes imperative because this idea of continuing lineage, um, which is just an unbelievable amount of pressure on a person to just have to think about that I, I can't I can't fathom so for me it wasn't really a consideration like race was never really a consideration which is just like the benefit I guess of being a mixed race person because I knew that no one was going to be the same as me anyone mm-hmm. that I could find and so yeah my husband is white if we decide to have children my children would qualify for tribal membership and that would probably be something that I would do early on for them and yeah, so for me, I'm in I'm in a situation where my children would still be considered, but mm. I think I think maybe that would be a harder a harder decision if that were not the case. I don't know. 
I don't know. It's also a complicated topic for me personally because I feel so removed from that that part mm-hmm. of my heritage, which I've mentioned before. Yeah. So I don't know. That probably doesn't doesn't completely answer your question, but No. I mean the fact that you have that in the back of your mind, not necessarily like you said at the forefront because of your mixedum of once again of hearing people sharing their stories of that pressure of if I don't marry someone who has more native blood than me, then my kids will not have the benefits. Yeah. And and that and when we keep saying benefits, what do we mean by that? Yeah. I think there is this misconception that like indigenous people get like a check in the mail every month from the government. <laughs> um, <laughs> if only, my friends, if uh, only. Oh um, <laughs> that is not the case. So when we're talking benefits, it really varies tribe to tribe. And it really varies depending on if you live, you know, on a reservation within the nation, within the Pueblo. There's different wordages for different things, but it really depends. So I think for me, (laughs) the biggest benefit is having formal recognition to a people from where I came and having that tangible connection to my heritage and having a group of people that I can go to to learn more about my heritage. So for me, it's like really very, a very like hippy dippy, like loose, loose benefit. You know, there are, of course, like federal mandates of like healthcare and those things, but it's like, we all know our healthcare system's a dumpster fire. It's super, <laughs> it's not that wonderful, folks. So, yeah, I think it really varies tribe to tribe. And we throw out the word benefits. And I think, once again, that gets lost in translation of what, you know, oh, they're trying to give away money for school. Oh, they get free health care. Oh, there's land. Right. And it, you're, you're missing the point and do like five minutes on Google and you will easily find out it is not what you think it is. Right. And and the idea of that is like similar to these ideas that we've talked about where it's like it's supposed to be able to even the playing field, but like it doesn't. Like Mm-mm. they could give all the indigenous people like these imagined benefits that people think that we all get and it still would not even the playing field. So like it's really just a drop in the bucket towards... I don't know what. Mm, So going back, we're talking about with family tides, what we're talking about in that pressure of wanting your your lineage to still have connection. It's a lot of connection to the land, like you said, into that people. And yeah, you you mentioned kind of your own hippy dippy way. But can you imagine being a grandparent, not being able to allow family access or be able to inherit your uh, inherit your land because Mm -hmm. of blood quantum? And that is heavy or the way of mixed up and being like it might end with me. And that is such a heavy responsibility. And once again, something that certain people groups don't necessarily have to think about. And we want to talk about all the time, like love is love and, you know, love who you want. But for some, there's always kind of this underlying pressure of looking towards the future and what that looks like. And that that's mentally crushing. (laughs) It it, it really, really is. You think of something as like who you want to be with and plan families with and lineage with and share your culture with would not have that extra added weight of blood quantum, but it's there. And it's very, it's just kind of this ugly elephant that you kind of have to not forget is in the room, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You've mentioned before, and you mentioned in this episode, like your daughter is white passing. Your daughter Mm -hmm. looks different than you. And I think that's 
that's something that a lot of people can relate to. And mm-hmm. historically, a lot of people can relate to, right? Like, mm-hmm. as as mixing occurs within families, like, people might look different. And imagine if looking different meant you were no longer considered of the same group. Mm-hmm. Like, that seems, I don't know, it just seems... Why? I guess is my question. Like, why? Why are we trying to draw these distinctions that will divide a family? I don't know. In the name of what? The melting pot? The great melting pot of the U.S.? (laughs) You girl, you already know. You know, it's we've talked about and kind of refreshing this acting from an impoverished spirit in survival. And it's like this, that there's not being enough. And we talk about this in relation to the table. And this is kind of where we talk about a little bit more of the one drop rule, which is that during a time of, of slavery, once again, because of colonization, there's intermingling. And I use that word very loosely because we knew that this was forced mating, basically treating people like animals. And we're having these mixed black and white people and wondering what do we do with that? And how do we divvy that up? And once again, we have have a very famous president, Mr. Jefferson, and the child that he that he raped and uh, had many children with. And how do we divvy out those rights? And we have this one drop rule uh, that even if you had one drop of Negro blood, you were considered black. You're considered Negro. And this is something that is both legal and social matter, right? Right. And so when we kind of tie into that, so if we, like I said, that's not even a history lesson. This is just like a drop in the bucket. And we kind of forward to here and we look at what that one drop rule is and what that looks like. Why would we want to separate families, right? Is that feeling of not having enough. And this is what spurs with colorism and how we're treated. We want to survive. We want to have safety and security and kind of what we were talking about with what your tribe was doing, Danny, of if we melt into the mainstream culture, we'll at least be able to live and survive because we've seen so much death and destruction at the hands of not of not circumventing to this main culture. Right. And so we have this mixture of mixing of people who could pass as white, but fully well knowing they could be a quarter or an eighth black and still being treated as black. And now we've got to the point to where we have books about people who are opting to pass as white in order to have a better life and how that kind of divides family. Mm -hmm. And it's just from that accent, from that there's not enough benefits to go around and I want to be safe. And that's so challenging and it's so heartbreaking because I I even asked my husband the other night if my daughter decides that she feels inclined to not necessarily relate as a woman of color, how would I respond to that? And I can't lie. I have to be transparent. I would be heartbroken. That would be very difficult for me. Yeah. But as far as like me blaming her and how the world treats mixedum and how she looks and how she presents, it's like, could I actually stop her? And that would be that divide. And even if you go further, there's a picture of my daughter when she was first born and babies tend to be a bit lighter when they're born being held by my dad, who is dark as night and thinking that in just three generations like what blood can do and how that transforms and looks and how that kind of looks in our family and those kind of color divisions. It is, it's not scary. It's just, what does that look like going forward in her life? You know? But then the way it like pops back up later in unexpected ways, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I was actually watching an interview. This is when we did the episode about Megan and Harry. 
Mm-hmm. And they were talking about the color of their baby. And like everyone was like, girl, our baby's going to be light. Like, why are you even worrying about it? But then everyone looks at Megan Marple's mother and they're just like, but those genes are there. Like they're there. And so don't don't question the genes because they can pop up. So that's how genetics work. And, <laughs> and so it was really interesting when they were kind of talking about being worried about this one drop within the royal family, that there's a baby with Negro blood in the bloodline now with mixed with royalty. And what does that look like? And yeah, that I think that the one drop rule kind of came back up again during that surge of people being very worried about, you know, what does that mean? Like, how do we categorize this this heir? to the throne you know it's once again so we have on one side where one drop you'll be considered black and you'll be treated as such no matter how light skin and how far back you are and then we have the other side of the coin of having to prove how indigenous you are and they're both on the foundation of white supremacy erasure division and like how do we even combat that these situations and these systems they're not they're not easy cuz they're ingrained cuz we said before they're legal and they're social it's just not that easy of we'll stop it <laughs> yeah i agree that it's like it's it's both the legal and the social but i find it just so interesting that the the roots of the legals it, like vital records, right? Like when you're born, when you have a birth certificate, that has to get filed with vital records. And mm-hmm. the way that vital records were first established was in a way to to divide people this way, like from the beginning. And this goes back to what I was talking about, about my research looking back at, at Virginia in particular. The very first director of vital records in Virginia was Super racist. <laughs> super oh, racist. Um, super. Yeah. Dr. Walter Plecker. And so he, if that doesn't sound like a racist I name, was, I don't girl, know what I was does. about to say, it's like, that's a, that is a Disney villain type, like trying to overemphasize the wickedness. Like that, that's insane. Their original distinctions within it, as far as race, there was pure white. There was Negro and there was Indian. Like, that was it. Those were the only races. <laughs> like, um, and there was no mixed allowed. So everyone had to, like, fall into one of those categories. And so when we're talking mixing, there was one, and I mentioned this before, but there was one, like, sub-mixed, and that was specifically for Pocahontas' descendants mm-hmm. in Virginia. And so it's, like, super racist because... They decided that even within his his idea that even just one drop would make a person inferior mm-hmm. to white people. So that's what we're we're getting back to. It's not it's not so much that like the one drop rule exists or being able to trace your lineage and you know being the lineage of one of your ancestors, but it's the fact that it's rooted in this idea that morally they are bad people. Mm-hmm. Like, and I don't know why we would want to uphold a system that is saying some people are inferior because of who their ancestors are. I mean, this is what we take from that. It's we we've talked about it. What's happened with women, right? Like with with white women of like leaning on one thing for protection of just like they can always default to whiteness in all their safe spaces. And I think there's this taking something of 
that would tend to diminish your background as far as like having a singular drop of blood, making you seem barbaric and more animal-like than human as far as slaves and taking it and transforming it into a way of trying to have like a per- protection for, mm. for yourself. And that's, I mean, that's what's the danger of white supremacy, right? That it can take something and turn it inward of having so many years of oppression of just trying to seek some kind of sanctuary, even if it's underneath the umbrella of blood quantum of one drop rule. I, you know, I was even thinking it to myself of, you know, we talked about people coming out with the 23 and me's and like, you know, I'm a descendant of Pocahontas or whatever. And I think we talk about underneath appropriation, we have a lot of influencers that say, well, my grandmother is black. So I get to say that N word. I get to wear my hair in box braids. I get to, you know what I mean, do my makeup a little bit darker. And we had touched on this a little bit when we talked about like black fishing of people saying, yeah. like, well, I have a grandmother who is half or I am black on this side far back. And then within the community being like, well, no, 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 you necessarily don't. So we have people who kind of portray black sense, like I said, not necessarily understanding the culture, portraying their culture and saying they're little bit more involved within the black community than they really are and then then you kind of have like this one drop rule well it shouldn't matter even if i have one drop then then i am and then having the community kind of buck up against that for protection of like well i i think you're black fishing i i I think you're mockery i think you're appropriating so there's even that kind of inward fighting of division like even if someone has a drop a per se of 16th right do they get to claim that and get to express themselves within the culture without being fear of thinking like no you are appropriating culture it's that that's where we're at right now within mixedum there is that that fear that living on that line that parallel within the one drop rule so and i don't have any answers (laughs) you know outside of having multiple conversations and wondering what it would look like for a culture to have an open conversation of how do we define ourselves and not how it's been historically done legally. I don't know. I agree with that. I don't have any clean, neat answers on how to determine who is and who isn't. But I think I will always default to it is at least in part up to people to claim others, right? Mm. Like you can't claim your lineage like your lineage has to claim you sort of a thing and i think it's a reasonable ask i don't think there is exclusion that happens but i don't think it's as rampant as the other way (laughs) where people claim them to be something that they're not if that makes sense um so i don't know i think The big takeaway is I just want people to live authentically and I Mm. want people to have the ability to connect with their own heritage. But I think rules that that favor Caucasian as the ideal are still are still a big issue. Um, Mm. I think I think for me, what I'm going forward and researching and looking into this is like leading with love. And like you said, going out and claiming people and bringing them in. And I think that's one of the biggest like middle fingers we can kind of do to the one drop rule. I think, you know, my best friend who... uh, who, who is darker very much sees my daughter in, in her blackness. And that means the world to me because I'm yeah. a mom and I'm, I'm invested. But I think having people from the community and saying, I see you and I see that. And it's like, it gets me a little choked up because 
that that goes beyond me. And I think when we have love as the forefront of, I love the fact that our community can grow more than I love percentage, more than I love appearance. And I, that to me is a foundation that I find to be like one of the biggest things that can kind of dismantle something like this. I love you more than I love the appearance of how, or even how the world may perceive you. Like you might have privilege being a light-skinned black woman, but I love you to put you into the fold. Like, and I claim you and I love you and we will, I know how the world treats you, but this is how we treat you no matter what. And I think I've been really challenged of what it looks like. Cause I have been with people. I'm just like, how could you claim that that is appropriation? What would it like to love them through that? And been like, mm-hmm. let's love you through that. And if this is indeed true, let's let's school you up on that culture because you might not have the opportunity to. And by you doing this, you're obviously reaching out and you are looking for something bigger than yourself. And I'm going to love you past whatever annoyances I have or even beating what I think in my own misconceptions of race and what I'm trying to deal with my own identity and love you past that and bring you in. And that has been And it's going to continue to be work that I have to do to dismantle that within my own identity as a mixed woman, loving past what even I have made my own perception of identity and race. And so I think you're right, letting the culture pick who they like you go out and claim it. But that's a very active thing you have to do. Yeah, it reminded me of I have a a dear friend who's Chicano, who who knows my sister because We've been friends for over a decade. We've been friends for a long time. And he, my sister, as I've mentioned, is very white passing. And he like gets up in arms about people not acknowledging her as Chicana, Mm. which I love. And he's just like, I don't see why anyone would not see her as Chicana, this little weta. Um, (laughs) So I don't know. I love it. And see, like, and then, like, and how much more does that mean of just being like, I see you past the fairness of your skin. I see you past the blonde curls. Like, I see you past that. But, you know, I see you. I love you enough to see you behind how the world. Yeah. And that is freaking beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was a lot. Um, <laughs> and I feel <laughs> like we could we could get deeper. Mm-hmm. But I think that's a good a good stopping point for today. Mm. <sighs> um, shall oh we uh, get happy? I think we need to. Tamika, what's making you happy this week? I'm going to go crazy basic. And I'm going to say going for a walk. Yay! (laughs) Just going. I didn't, I had like a really horrific like anxiety. I guess is probably the best way of describing like the life draining out of me color like you just it's crazy like I just are panicking whatever and I just realized I had not been outside between having a, a daughter with a cold and school and COVID I think it was just too much and our dog was acting crazy I'm like all right we have to take the dog for a walk and I came back and I went oh gosh the elephant that's on my chest is is slightly lighter it's just 
just going for a walk and the weather here has been really terrible, but we had a couple of days of a break and just filling your lungs with something else than your home air with all your dead skin in it is just so much better. Uh, You don't even realize that getting that blood pumping and trying to conjure some endorphins from somewhere. It was just, I underappreciated how much I just needed like a really good walk. So it's true. I am well aware of the benefits of going for a walk. I still don't prioritize it the way that I should. (laughs) It's, you know, you'd think everyone's like, oh, we're at home. You'll have time to do X, Y, Z. And we talked about this off air of just like being at home. You think, oh, you have all this time. but You don't. It goes through your hands like sand. Like it just. I don't understand how there was any time before I was home all the time. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, there's no time now. How was there time then? Girl, I don't even know. I do not know how I manifest any of that. But I definitely, even just being at home, you know, you get up and you do the things and you work or you go to school, you do chores or you're doing this and that. And then next week, especially, especially in the winter, you blink and it is dark. Yeah. Like you just, and then, like I said, living in the Pacific Northwest, like there were days during the solstice where it's like three o'clock. <laughs> dark cold hibernation yeah, you're I'm far like, north now yeah like, yeah yeah same thing in england like when it's winter like it's just oof, darkness i hope like going to pick my daughter up at school at three with a flashlight like dark you know yeah especially if it was rainy and stormy which once again where have i lived yes it's gonna be dark and stormy so it's just uh going for a walk and i hope to sneak in a walk today and i'm gonna try to make that more priority because i didn't i'm like dag on it is that what i needed i had to like not just walk the dog walk the human so i was <laughs> it was it's needed it's definitely needed but What about you, Boo? What's making Um, you happy? Yeah, I'm going to go, as I often do, with a form of entertainment. I finished watching all of the first two seasons of His Dark Materials. Um, Mm. And it's so good. And I can't wait for season three. And now I'm like, I gotta gotta reread those books because I don't remember what happens. (laughs) So it was good. You'd recommend. Yeah, it was great. It was a great show. Yeah, I loved it. And Lin-Manuel Miranda is like the perfect Lee. And I just loved him in that role. He was so good. Uh, We, you know, I don't, speaking of time, I don't know how he has the time. Like, I believe if I believe if anyone owns a time turner, it's Lin-Manuel Miranda. Definitely. Here's what I'm going to say. God bless his wife. Like, Dude. Dude. Because she's got her own thing. Was she's like a scientist lawyer? She's like crazy smart. They got two kids. Like, yeah, but you know, she's the powerhouse behind him. Oh, yeah. Oh, obviously. Like, I and I love the way he speaks of her. Like, put respect on that name and really realizing that he married like a 10. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, she fine. She's smart. She about it. Too good for this world. Yeah. Yeah. Bless you, ma'am. Bless you. Shout out from two unicorns, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, on that note, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. Um, We would love to hear from you, your thoughts, your feelings. You don't have to prove your blood quantum to us. Mm -mm. Just reach out. You can find us via email, biracialunicorns at gmail.com. You can also reach us on social media. We are on Facebook and Instagram at biracialunicorns, and we're on Twitter at biracialmagic. 
We want to give a huge shout out to Deli Pop Art, who's done our very iconic biracial unicorns logo right there. Please go follow her on Instagram. She has got some beautiful, unique, colorful stuff. It just it just brightens my day. We want to give a huge shout out to So Smith Photography. That's done some of our in-person photos. Go follow her also on Instagram. She's got some great, great candid shots. I believe might have some calendars left. I don't know. Go check that out. I got mine. It's amazing. We want to thank so much for Joseph Scott, who's done our intro and outro music. And while you're following all these people on the internet, why don't you go ahead and write us a review, a glowing one, right? Right. You know what we need. This is what helps us get to five them. stars. Yes, exactly. Or five strawberries, goats, whatever it is on you, wherever you're listening us on to. <laughs> I don't know why when you said goats, I just assumed it was some sort of sacrifice. (laughs) If you could give exactly five of your best goats to whoever you pray to, that would really help us through the algorithm of of the podcast. And we would appreciate it. And that helps us. Um, Then also just getting in contact with us, telling you what you like to hear. We desperately want this to be a communal thing. And we want to discuss things that are, are on the as they say, the pulse of the community, right? This is what we're here for. So please go ahead and reach out to us. And if you feel so inclined to support us financially, drop us a couple of bones and then just to keep the lights on because that's all we really require. We do this for you. And as Danny said, we don't care about blood quantum. If you're in a place to where you don't feel like you belong in either or, you're a unicorn. Come. You belong here. And we want to share this space with you. Introduce yourself. All of our stuff is down below. All right, unicorns. Take care. Hydrate. All the things. <laughs> we will be back next week with a mini sode and in two weeks with another full episode. Mm-hmm. Peace. Out.